Hey friends, Alan Duty here, preaching pastor at New Life. We're delighted to bring you this sermon from our Sunday gathering. For more information or to support our ministry, visit us online at newlifecs.net. Thank you and enjoy the following message. holiday season is now upon us, and it's supposed to be a season of joyful giving, but for a lot of people in our country, increasingly, it is becoming the most stressful time of the year. And I think that a lot of that stress can be traced back to our desire to give perfect gifts to family members and friends. And those perfect gifts often cost a great deal of money, which then adds to the stress of the holiday season. But as the old adage says, the best things in life are free. And we learn in Scripture that every good and every perfect gift that comes from the Father comes as a gracious gift from His hands. We're now in the third and final section of John chapter 14. And in this third and final section, Jesus doesn't have a whole lot of time left with the disciples. We're about halfway through the time that he's spending on this last night with them in the upper room. And as we've seen throughout these last couple of chapters, Jesus does not want the disciples to be anxious and fearful. But without help, that's exactly what they're going to be with Jesus's departure. They're going to be anxious and afraid. And so in this passage today, Jesus is going to encourage the disciples with the news that they have three wonderful gifts coming to them. And the message that comes out of this final section in John chapter 14 is fear not. God has graciously given us his spirit, his peace, and his son. So let's pick up here in verse 25. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Now, these things most likely refers to what he's been teaching them since they got to the upper room. That'd be chapter 13 and 14 so far in John. But of course, Jesus has been teaching them many things for the past three years in his ministry. And at the end of the gospel of John, the apostle says that if every miracle Jesus was uh, of Jesus was written down that all of the books in the world couldn't contain the miracles alone. So imagine if they tried to write down every word that Jesus spoke in that three-year period. How many books would that take? So now that Jesus is going away and he's communicated all of these things to the disciples, he's going to communicate more in this passage The question is, how would the disciples remember, let alone understand, all of the things that Jesus has taught them? I mean, in this very chapter, we see examples of the disciples not understanding the things that Jesus is teaching. So look at verse 26. Here's what Jesus says. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
So here we have the first of those three gifts that God promises to us. It's the gift of the helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that God is going to send him. You notice that the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a person, a him. God promises that he's going to send him in Jesus' name. And like we saw last week in the previous passage, the Holy Spirit is coming to be our helper. He is coming to help us in two specific ways, to teach us and to bring things to remembrance. So instruct and remind. And I want to look at that promise through two different lenses. And these are the lenses through which we should always read every passage of Scripture that we come across. And the first lens is, what do these words mean in the immediate context? In other words, what did these words mean to the disciples themselves when Jesus spoke them? The second lens is, what do these words mean for believers today? In other words, what do they mean for us? What is Jesus saying to us? So let's start with that first lens. What was Jesus saying to the disciples? So again, remember all that Jesus has taught over three years. It's probably too much to write down in all of the books of the world. So how are they going to remember all of that? Recall that a lot of the time, the disciples did not even understand what Jesus was teaching. Again, in this very chapter, Thomas said, Lord, what are you talking about? Where are you going? We don't know the way. Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father and it's enough for us. They were confused and not understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They were confused that if they had seen him, they had actually already seen the Father because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. They didn't understand a lot of what Jesus had already taught and communicated. And so that's why the gift of the Holy Spirit is so wonderful. Because after Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us all things and bring to remembrance all that he had said to us and to the disciples specifically. Friends, the reason that this matters so much is because in just a few years, the disciples are going to begin writing the gospel accounts the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, what he taught and what he said throughout that ministry. And then a short time after that, as churches are planted, as they go out and they share the good news of the gospel with many people and people come to faith in Christ and churches are established, elders are appointed in these churches, they begin to write letters to these churches to instruct them how to live in light of the Christian faith. So they were going to need help remembering and understanding everything that Jesus taught if they were going to write it down and if they were going to provide instruction to the churches. So take a look at 2 Peter on the screen. Peter says this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Friends, that gives us great confidence in the Bible. Peter says that no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by the will of man. The Bible is a human book. It was written by human authors. But it's not merely a human book. Those human beings wrote the words of Scripture as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, who inspired them. 
bringing to their remembrance everything that Jesus said and helping them to understand what he meant when he said it. So the fact that the Holy Spirit came to help the disciples gives us great confidence that the gospel accounts and the rest of the word of God is true and accurate because it's not merely a human book. It's a book that was written by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So that is the first lens. Jesus is telling the disciples the Holy Spirit is going to remind them and instruct them after he was gone, especially as they wrote the words of the Bible. But the second lens is what do these words mean for believers today like you and me? Well, first, the Holy Spirit instructs us. The Holy Spirit instructs us. He says, he will teach you all things. Now, this is a direct fulfillment of two promises in the Old Testament that are directed towards the new covenant that God was going to establish with his people because his people broke the old covenant law again and again. So I want you to look at the words of Jeremiah 31, a well-known prophecy about the new covenant. Take a look at what it says. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now listen to this. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Under the new covenant, we would not have to teach each other to know the Lord because we are all going to know the Lord personally. That's the glory of the new covenant because God is going to put his law within us. He's going to write it on our hearts. So no longer are we going to need an external system of commands and laws because God himself is coming in the new covenant to write it on our hearts the knowledge and the desire and the power to obey God would finally be inside of us, not external to us. So that's what Jeremiah says. That's the first prophecy. I want you to look at what Ezekiel says, the second prophecy. Take a look. Ezekiel writes, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So under the new covenant, God is going to cause his people, you and me, to walk in his statutes and obey his rules. Well, how is he going to do that? By giving us a new heart and putting a new spirit within us. But it's not just any spirit. Remember what he says in Ezekiel 36, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to obey my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So friends, one of my objectives as a preacher of God's word is to show you time and time again that the Bible is not a collection of random information, but it is a unified whole that all works together because it was spoken to us by one God who is perfectly consistent in revealing the truth to us. So in these two prophecies made 600 some odd years before Jesus was ever born, 
in these prophecies of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, what we have is him saying that God is going to put a new spirit within us. He's going to write his law on our hearts. We're not going to need to teach each other to know the Lord anymore because he himself is going to teach us to know him. He's going to put his spirit inside of us. He'll be living in us through faith. So what this means is that every time we read scripture, the Holy Spirit is instructing us, teaching us the truth about God and about ourselves and about his world and about other people. That happens directly every time you pick up the Bible to read it. The Holy Spirit is instructing you directly through the word of God. But the Holy Spirit also instructs you indirectly when other Christians teach you to understand the word of God. We don't have to teach each other to know the Lord because he reveals himself to us. He puts his spirit in us. But we do teach each other to know the Lord more and more accurately. So whenever another Christian is talking to you about the Bible over a cup of coffee, or when another Christian is teaching the word of God or preaching to you, then you are learning indirectly from the Holy Spirit through that Christian. And so the Holy Spirit is teaching us and instructing us through all of these ways, church. And then second, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit reminds us. So he instructs us and he reminds us. Now, I don't know how you feel about your memory, but mine is terrible. Terrible. As Charles Barkley would say, terrible. Several of y'all have said to me over the years, Pastor Allen, how do you remember everyone's name? I don't. I write them all down and review them regularly. I got back from sabbatical and I pulled out my notebook and I was like, um, Cody, right? <laughs> I don't think I've ever met a person who felt that they had a great memory. If there is that person out here, I haven't met them. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need him to remind us of the words of Jesus when we most need them. And friends, it's very important for us to understand that God works through means. So it is presumptuous of us to think to ourselves that in spite of the fact that we have not read the word of God very much, or in spite of the fact that we have not worked to memorize God's word, that he is magically going to bring his word to mind when we most need it. No, he works through means. And so that's why I hope that you have found our scripture memory program through Together in 22 to be a helpful tool for you this year. To this point in 2022, we have sought to memorize almost 40 verses of scripture together as a church. That's awesome. And maybe you memorized the first several and you got off the train um, and you haven't done that in a while. That's okay. That's still not wasted effort. You still memorize several verses of scripture, maybe more than you've memorized in many years uh, since you last were memorizing scripture. You can get back on the train today. But my point is this, friends. If we expect the Holy Spirit to remind us of his word then we've got to believe that God works through means, and one of those means is memorizing it. So the verse that we memorized this past week was James 1, 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, how many times a week would it be helpful to know that scripture? I saw somebody dressed up as anger from inside out uh, on Halloween. I was like, oh, look, my twin. I have multiple times every day where I need to remember, I need to have the Holy Spirit remind me that God's word says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not achieve what you want, Alan. If you blow your top and lose your temper, you're not going to achieve God's goals for the people in your life, even if you feel like you've achieved yours. I need that reminder all the time. So, The first gift that God has given to us is the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom God has sent to instruct and remind us. Let's look at the second gift, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. The second gift that God gives to us is peace. And the disciples needed that gift badly. Jesus was about to go back to his heavenly father, but the disciples couldn't even rejoice for him. They couldn't even rejoice that the son was going to be reunited with the father once again because they were so anxious and fearful about the future. What they needed was peace. And friends, don't we long for peace ourselves? Jesus tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Watch the news, scroll through social media, listen to people's conversations at work. Fear and anxiety are everywhere. And sadly, many professing Christians seem to be overcome by fear and anxiety as well. But look at what Jesus tells them. Look at this verse again, the end of verse 27. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you hear that? Jesus is issuing a command. Do not allow your hearts to be troubled. Do not allow your hearts to be afraid. That's a command. Jesus is speaking to the disciples, but he's also speaking to us Christians. The world is allowing their hearts to be anxious and troubled. And from everything I can see, they want us to join them in that. They want us to be anxious and fearful about the future of our country, for our families, about the economy, whatever it would be. But Jesus says, don't do it. Do not allow your hearts to be troubled. Do not allow your hearts to be anxious. So here's the second gift. What does Jesus say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That's the second gift. Jesus is going away and the disciples are tempted to be anxious and afraid. So Jesus tells them, I am giving you my peace. The only thing you guys need to do is receive it as a good gift from me. And into our world that is riddled with fear and anxiety, Jesus says, I'm giving you my peace. 
all you have to do is receive it as a good gift from me. And you see, he's not giving this gift like the world gives. It doesn't have any strings attached where you have to do something in order to earn it or receive it. He's not giving like the world gives to give you his peace, but then take it away from you at a later point. No, Jesus is giving this as a free gift of his grace. My peace I give to you. It is available to anyone who through faith and by faith will just receive it as a gift. But the question is, how? How do we receive the gift of Jesus' peace? Because we said earlier, God doesn't work through magic. He works through means. So what is the means by which we receive the peace of Jesus? Well, I want to highlight four ways we receive Jesus' peace. Prayer, meditation on scripture, leaning on the church, and accepting God's common grace. Prayer, meditating on scripture, leaning on the church, and accepting God's common grace. So the first thing we do to receive Jesus' peace is we pray. Look at Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, when we feel anxious, we start worrying. But what does worrying achieve? Jesus himself said, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your span of life. Only the government can do that through fall back. (laughs) Worrying gets us nowhere. But God promises peace, a peace that passes all understanding to everyone who prays to him and allows their requests to be known. So God doesn't promise to change your circumstances, but he says, he promises, if you pray, you will be at peace. That's a great thing. And so friends, we receive the gift of God's peace through prayer. Secondly, we meditate on his word. Look at Isaiah 26. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. When we feel afraid, we often start believing things that are not true about God, about others, about ourselves, about the world and what's going on in it. We need to have our minds transformed and renewed. But look at what Isaiah says. He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed on you. Here's the problem for so many of us. We are getting up in the morning and we are reading the Bible every day or most days of the week. But the problem is this, our eyes are passing over the words, but we are not meditating on scripture. We're not fixing our minds on scripture. Our minds are not stayed on scripture. And so just a short time later, you see your spouse or your roommate or one of your kids and they say, how was your devotional time this morning? What do you read? What'd you read? And you're like, I don't know. 
the Bible? It's because we're not spending any time meditating on Scripture. It's one of the reasons that when we decided to do a read through the Bible in a year program, we didn't do every single chapter in Scripture. We shortened it down so that we could read less and meditate more. Because, friends, I'm convinced that's the missing ingredient. That's what Isaiah says. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, not you keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind has read your words at some point, whose mind is stayed on you. So we need to make sure that we're meditating on God's word. We receive the gift of God's peace by meditating on his word. Third, we lean on the church. Look at Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, many of us know that we are commanded to do that. We're commanded to bear one another's burdens. But have you thought about what that means? If we are going to bear one another's burdens, we have to know what they are. I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me over the years and told me that they've been struggling for a long time in some area of their life. Or I will find out through other people that they've been struggling for a long time. And I will go to them and say, I had no idea that you were struggling in such an intense and prolonged way. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you contact the other pastors? And you know what they say almost 99% of the time? I didn't want to be a burden. Friends, I don't, I don't know what you think we do, but this is literally what pastoral ministry is. It's teaching, it's praying, it's shepherding, it's, it's helping to bear your burdens. It's helping the church to bear your burdens. And so here's the thing. When you fail to share your prayer requests, when you fail to say, I'm struggling in this way or that way with other people in your life group, in our church, people you serve with, then there is no way for the rest of us to obey this command. We cannot bear each other's burdens if we don't even know what they are. And so we need to lean on the church. That's the third way that we receive the peace of God. And then fourth and finally, we accept common grace. 1 Timothy 5, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. One solution to fear and anxiety might be a glass of wine. I have walked away from many conversations over the past few years thinking that guy needs a drink. But that is not Paul's point here, and that is not my point either. Timothy had stomach problems, seemingly from drinking water that was unclean. They did not have the purification systems that we are blessed to have today. And Timothy is avoiding wine. Alcohol kills germs. Timothy is avoiding wine probably because he doesn't want to lead younger Christians astray in his church that might get the wrong idea about why he's drinking wine. So he avoids wine, and he's spending a lot of time in the bathroom. And I assume also a lot of time asking God to heal his stomach. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, comes, and he doesn't say, 
Timothy, keep praying. I'm sure God will take away your bathroom issues eventually. He doesn't say that. He says, drink some wine. Take advantage of a proven scientific remedy that is available to both Christians and non-Christians. Here's my point. Some of us are praying and reading scripture and leaning on the church, and yet we are still dealing with anxiety and fear at a very high level. And what you may need to do is accept God's common grace that is available to both Christians and non-Christians and start seeing a good counselor or make an appointment with your doctor to learn about treatment options. Friends, we have to destigmatize counseling and medicine in the church. Many Christians seem to think that going to counseling or getting on medication for anxiety is somehow not walking by faith. But remember, the fall has affected every part of us. And if you fall down and you break your arm, we don't pray that God would heal it. We go see the doctor to set the bone. And if your brain has been affected by the fall and the chemicals in your brain are not doing what they're supposed to do such that you are experiencing fear and anxiety at a very high level that is not normal, then it would make sense that we would accept God's common grace and go to the doctor for that to learn about treatment options. And so the fourth and final way that we can receive the peace of God is by accepting his common grace that's available to both Christians and non-Christians. So God has given us the gift of his spirit and he's given us the gift of his peace. And we receive that gift through prayer, meditating on scripture, leaning on the church and accepting God's common grace. Let's look now at the third and final gift, God's son, verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus has been with his disciples now for three years, but he doesn't have much time left with them because the ruler of this world is coming. Satan has already entered into Judas Iscariot and is using him and the people with him to attempt to stop Jesus from redeeming his people. Now, what Satan did not know is that what would appear to be a victory for him and the cosmic powers over this present darkness would turn out to be Christ's great victory because he could not defeat sin and death without dying. Look at what Luke wrote in Acts chapter four. The church is gathered together after being threatened not to preach the gospel anymore. They're gathered together to pray and they pray these words. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
You see, Satan seemed to think that he could thwart God's plan by entering into Judas Iscariot and putting it into his heart to betray Jesus so that he would be killed by a coalition of Jewish religious leaders and the Roman government and thwart his plan to redeem his people. It seemed like a perfect plan, except God, his hand and his plan had already predestined all of that to take place. That's why Jesus says the ruler of this world has no claim on me. Satan tried to use Judas to play Jesus into his hand. But in reality, Jesus was in the sovereign, loving hands of the Father the entire time. So the plan didn't work. Nothing was going to happen to Jesus except exactly what God's hand and plan had predestined to take place. And so Jesus says, he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. Well, what did the Father command him to do? He told us back in John 10, take a look. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So what was the Father's charge? What was the Father's command? It was for Jesus to lay down his life willingly and to take it back up again. That was the charge. That was the command of the Father, and Jesus would obey it. Why? Look again at the end of verse 31. So that the world may know that I love the Father. Now, you remember last week's sermon, last week's passage, what we learned? Love and obedience are inseparable. That's what Jesus taught. Love and obedience are inseparable. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So what is he doing now? He's serving as our perfect example. He's saying, I will lay down my life willingly so that the world will know that I love the Father. Because the Father commanded him to do that, sent Jesus to lay down his life and take it up again for you and for me. Because he always does exactly what the Father commands. You see, according to Scripture, God's divine purpose revealed from Genesis to Revelation is that God was purifying for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what Titus 2.14 tells us. And God would achieve that purpose by sending his only begotten son to lay down his life and take it up again, defeating both sin and sin's consequence, death, on behalf of his people. The Holy Spirit and the peace of God are both incredible gifts. But friends, the greatest gift of all is his son. Because through Jesus' sinless and miraculous life, his death and his resurrection from the dead, we are reconciled to God and adopted into his family for eternity through faith. That is a great and perfect gift. So Christians, we can rejoice because God has given us everything we need. We've been given his Holy Spirit, his peace, and his Son. 
And the fact that he's given us his son tells us everything that we need to know. Look at Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Christian, what do you believe that you need today? Do you need understanding? Do you need reminders when life is hard about what God has said? Do you need help dealing with the trials and difficulties of life? If so, you have the gift of the helper, the Holy Spirit. Christian, do you need peace? Jesus has already given it to you. You need only to receive it through means like prayer and meditating on the word, leaning on the church and accepting God's common grace. And if it's anything else, you can ask your heavenly father because if he's given us his son, he will graciously give us anything and everything else. Every parent knows the only reason that you withhold good gifts from your kids whom you love is because you want something better for them. And so when our Heavenly Father withholds things from us that we ask for, we can know that it's only because that is what is best for us. He will not withhold any good gift from us if He has already given us His Son. It just not, may not come in the way or the timetable that we expect. And so we have to let God be God and let Him decide what is good for us how it is good for us, and when it is good for us. For some here today, you've been longing for peace for a long time. Maybe even most of your life. But you still don't have it. And you may be tempted to conclude that the reason that you're not at peace is because you haven't yet gotten something that you want. But I think that if you go around and you talk to people in the church, they will tell you that getting married, having children, getting their dream job, getting promoted, buying or building the house of their dreams, getting that new car, crossing things off the bucket list, that still doesn't bring lasting and true peace. Some people have gotten everything that they've ever wanted, and yet their hearts are still restless. They still have no peace. The great theologian Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So if you've been looking for peace, if you've been longing for peace, but you haven't been able to find it, friend, you've come to the right place. Not because we can give you a few tips on how to make your life better. Not because we do free group therapy every Sunday morning and call it church. But because we know and we proclaim Jesus, the Prince of Peace who loved us and gave himself for us to make peace between us and God. Look what Paul wrote in Colossians. 
For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Friend, if you're looking for peace, if you are longing for peace, then you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you to make peace between you and God. You don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to hope anymore for a solution. He is the solution. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he came to make peace, not give you an opportunity to make peace with God. He came to make peace on your behalf, reconciling you to him through his perfect life his death in your place, and his resurrection from the dead. So this morning, all you have to do, just like we talked about with Jesus' peace, all you have to do is receive Jesus through faith. To put your trust in him rather than yourself or your works or your religion or anything else. And so we hope and pray this morning that you will receive God's greatest gift, his only begotten son, through faith. Let's pray. Father, you are the giver of all good gifts. And you have given us these three amazing gifts in your spirit, your peace, and your son. I pray that we as Christians would receive those gifts gladly and appropriate them into our lives in the ways that you have shown us and commanded us in the scripture. God, forgive us particularly for the ways that we have not allowed others to bear our burdens. We've kept those things to ourselves and struggled and suffered because out of a desire not to bother others or be a burden to them or, or maybe out of pride or any other reason, we haven't shared them. So I just want to pray for any person here who has been weighed down for weeks or months or years because they have not allowed others to share their burdens. Would you put it on their hearts today to humble themselves and to open up to the church so that we could love and serve them? And Father, we certainly pray for those who are not at peace today. And they're not at peace chiefly because their sin has created a great chasm between them and you. We pray that they would see Jesus this morning for who he is. The one mediator between God and man who alone can bridge that chasm we pray that they would find peace 
in the one place that it can be found. And that is through faith in Jesus. Would you save souls today, God? Would you do a great work in hearts this morning? Thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from New Life Baptist Church in College Station, Texas. For more information or to support our ministry, visit us online at newlifecs.net.